All right, how are we doing tonight? Good. Excited to be in a new facility. I don't know if they mentioned I was in the back, but we're going to be moving sort of again, not to a different building, but we're going to be in there. So like these chairs will not always be here, but sorry about that. You guys have been really, really patient <laughs> with us as we move. Um, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm probably more excited about tonight's message of anything I've ever preached before in my life. Um, and it, and it has nothing to do with insights that I've come up with or insights that uh, you know, I may have read or anything like that. It, it purely comes from 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 18. Like these verses, man, we, we talk all the time in this. We don't, we don't want to just transfer information whenever we are preaching. We want to encounter God and his words. Like, this is not just a historical letter, although it is. This is God speaking to us authoritatively, mightily right now, uh, tonight, even in an abandoned, well, I guess not really abandoned anymore, but sort of coffee shop area. We can gather here as, as his people and, and worship him. We worship through song, and now we're going to worship through, through hearing of the word. So before, hopefully if you caught it, 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 18 is where we're going to be. But for those of you that may be just joining us tonight, just so you know, we're going through a series through 2 Timothy. And what I mean by series is you don't get to hear me say a bunch of things that, that I want to think of. It means we go through word by word, verse by verse of a book of the Bible so that we're hearing from God and not Dustin, right? Because that would bore you and you would probably never come back. And I mean, being honest, like the only words that can change us, that can actually speak to reborn people are the words... In his word, right? Um, so just a few application points if you need context. We only went through the first seven verses last week, but I want to run through these quickly. So if you're new, this will help you a little bit. And if you are not new, you could have forgotten. So we're going to give these to you anyways. And these are just applications so far. We, we dug deep in theology as to why we are doing this in our life. But here's what we said. Our identity is in Christ. Probably know that, right? But that's what... Paul is making clear in his introduction to this letter. And then our purpose, so identity is in Christ, purpose is the will of God. And we talked about, we don't have to get caught up in thinking, what's the will of God for my life? When, when God labors in his text to show you his revealed will for your life, regardless of what major you choose, who you end up marrying, ultimately what he wants for you is that you would love him, love people, and make disciples. Great commandment, great commission. So your identity is in Christ, your purpose is that. Also, we talked about Jesus dying and rising again, which we tend to talk about a lot when you read the Bible. And, and one of the, the byproducts of Jesus dying for us to bring us back to God, one of those byproducts is a clean conscience. Remember, we talked about that last week. A clear conscience. So we still have guilt, we still have shame at some point whenever we sin. But we know in repentance and faith over and over again, the gospel can attack that guilt and shame that we have with unconfessed sin through the gift of confession. And then lastly, the main command we looked at was we are commanded to fan the gift of God that he gave us into flame because the spirit we have is not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. And that brings us right up into seven. And why I say that is because verse eight starts with therefore. It doesn't make any sense to just not ask, what's it there for, right? Like, we gotta, we got to know why 
Paul is making an argument here in verse 8. So I want you to know those first seven verses, and especially keying in on verse 7. A lot of people love that verse. But God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. And if you're a note-taking person, I'll give you the one point tonight. Just one point. It's this. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. That's it. I think we're going to see this three different times in ten verses. And we're going to see all the different ways that God addresses the human condition of our natural kind of leaning against being, I don't want to say proud of the gospel, but not being ashamed of it. And hopefully God by His Spirit tonight, not because of good illustrations or, or sound logic, but ultimately we would just meet Him here and we would leave here as a people not ashamed. Uh, so I want to pray towards that end before we, before we look at verse 8 and worship Him tonight. So let's, let's pray one more time so that our hearts will be opened uh, to this. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I am so thankful that all these people are here, that, that you love us, you, you brought us, and you have kept us um, alive uh, so far. Um, Lord, I pray that, that you would eliminate distractions right now. It's hot in here, and the, the lighting is weird, and it's maybe hard to, to concentrate because of acoustics or whatever, Lord. But I pray that you would just speak clearly tonight. We would not leave here thinking that was a good service, but we would leave here stunned by your grace and mercy and, and called on mission uh, so that we might make your name great in, in our campus and our city. So, Father, we need your help to do that and understand your words. We'll pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, verse 8. Let's, let's, let's go at it. It says this, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So, real quick, therefore. So it's because of the fact that we have this spirit that is not of fear, but the spirit we have given as a gift from God is not of fear, but it's of power, love, and self-control in order to, listen, in order to persevere in the mission of making disciples in spite of persecution, whatever may come, for the sake of the gospel, because of that, he gives us one command. Do not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed. It's a command for followers of Christ that God would want us to be marked by. A people that are not ashamed. And this command is not just to make you feel bad of the times you fail. The point is that this command is here for your joy. Ultimately, God is after your joy in Him. And He says, one of the ways that I'm going to do this, and one of the ways you're going to experience me in full as your own mission to make my name great, is you're going to have to get this. Do not be ashamed. And I think it's fair, and at least helpful to me, to get some working definitions of guilt and shame. Right? Because sometimes we're like, what is, well, how's, okay, shame, I kind of know what it feels like. We've probably all been embarrassed or humiliated before. But what are some good definitions, and are they always bad? Are they sometimes good? And if you don't know, my, my background is in biblical counseling. Um, so some of this plays right into me, guilt and shame. We, we sort of deal with that in, in counseling scenarios. So pulling from some of those resources, I want to give you, especially you note takers, some definitions here to take home that will help. Hopefully this makes sense as you're just meditating on this throughout the week. And, and here it is. Guilt, we'll do guilt first. Definition of guilt. A sense of failure 
to meet an objective standard. It's fair, right? So, example, there's a rule and you broke it, okay? You would be guilty of breaking that rule. There's, it's objective, there is a clear, do not do this, I did it, and now I'm guilty. Shame, and, and though closely related, it is different. Here's, here's a good definition for you. It's a sense of failure before the eyes of someone else. So whereas guilt is a standard you're looking at, shame is that a sense of failure in the eyes of somebody else. More, more subjective feelings of either embarrassment or humiliation. Makes sense, right? And oftentimes, whenever you are guilty, I have done something wrong, if that guilt festers in your soul enough, it, it, it kind of leaves that you've done something wrong and it kind of turns into you are a wrongdoer. See the difference? I've done something wrong and then if, it's, if the guilt festers long enough, you become, you, it's, it's more subjective, it's more who you are. And there's shame. You're, it's more rooted in the perception of yourself rather than rules you are breaking. Now, now, those are related. You see how those work, right? It's probably impossible to feel shame without first getting some sense of guilt. But I think those distinctions are important, especially as we look at sinful ways that our human flesh twists guilt and shame, and then a redeemed way of, I think, what, what God would have for us. So, just so you know, guilt, sense of failure to meet an objective standard. Shame, a sense of failure before the eyes of someone else. And it seems like Paul is trying to get us to combat our sin-bent natural inclination to be ashamed. Now, that's not crazy deep, right? Like, literally, I, I say it seems like Paul is making this sin-bent inclination to not be ashamed literally because it said, do not be ashamed. Right? Like, there's, there's something there, though. There's more to these words if they are literally from God. And he's saying, listen, young Timothy, the mission is hard. And one of these things, right in the beginning of this, you have power and love and self-control. And because of that, do not be ashamed. And this shame story started in the garden, right? Like, right after we broke the one rule, what happens? They know they're naked. They're embarrassed, and they, they, they cover themselves up. That, that need to cover, I'm, I'm dirty, I'm, I'm unworthy, is that shame that we're talking about. So, I need to, I'm not trying to surprise you here, there is a way in which guilt and shame are good, but I want to address first of the, the ways that they're bad. So this would be twisted guilt and shame, and there are two categories of this. It would be misaimed guilt and shame, and lingering guilt and shame. So let me go through misaimed first. Misaimed guilt can happen when you feel guilty for breaking a standard that is not God's standard. You guys have probably done that, and if you know me at all, this is me. I, I feel guilty for everything. <laughs> Overactive conscience. I'm just like, man, I, I know I probably messed this up, and uh, it's it can be exhausting if you if you struggle with this of a of a misaimed guilt. Your standard that you have broken is not what God has set. Misaimed shame can happen when you feel shame for finding your sense of worth in a person's eyes that aren't God's eyes. So twisted shame, like, this really comes a lot with approval idols, right? Like, I'm looking at this person and, and their opinion matters so much to me that if, if they don't look at me in this way that I feel shame, I'm unworthy, I'm humiliated, I'm embarrassed, 
There's a subjective feeling of because that person, whatever reason you've given them this power, because of that person, I feel shame. Also, misaimed shame can happen when you feel shame for doing God-honoring things. So this would be witnessing to his testimony to non-believers in the context here. Like there's also a way where your shame can be misaimed, where all of a sudden doing something you know God would have you do, standing up for him in a classroom, whatever, witnessing to a non-believer, calling somebody to repentance, getting up in front of people to speak, whatever it would be, you know it's a God-honoring thing, but for some reason there's that sin in you that's like, this feel I'm humiliated. There's something, something going on. Lingering or twisted lingering guilt It's important to address as well. Happens when you allow the condemning effects of guilt to lay on your conscience after you have repented and confessed that sin. Because Jesus has suffered in your place to erase that guilt, right? We know that. And and this, the Holy Spirit, I believe, uses guilt as a gift to know when we've dishonored God. But at some point, if it's still the condemning effects, I'm still guilty, the Spirit would say, His Word would say, no, you're innocent in my eyes. So there's a lingering guilt that's also wrong. And and likewise, you probably get this. Twisted, lingering shame happens when you allow the humiliation and embarrassment of your dishonoring of God to lay on your conscience after you've repented and confessed that sin. Make sense? So you can can misaim it, the standard is wrong, or you're not wanting God's approval, you're wanting somebody else's, or you can let it linger too long. And then what redeemed guilt and shame looks like is good gifts of God. We'll go over this quickly. So we get all the definitions out of the way. Our redeemed guilt and shame are good gifts from God because they alert our conscience to the ways we have dishonored Him. And it gives us an opportunity to enjoy repentance and confession so that we can enjoy our union with Him again. Clear? Okay. So that's kind of, that's, that's where we're at. He's saying, do not be ashamed. And we get def- what He's telling us not to be ashamed of. Let's look. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So clearly, knowing all of our definitions that we just did, the aim of this command is to steer your heart, your will, away from the misaimed shame of feeling humiliated or embarrassed of testifying to the gospel or the people who are persecuted because of it. Now, I know it's a lot of work to get through one verse, but I need you to see that. It helps to know what the shame he's talking about is here. If he's saying, do not be ashamed, it can't mean you're sinning if you feel embarrassed. Okay? We all get embarrassed at times. But he's saying, if that shame, that humiliation, that perception of unworthiness or, or need of somebody else's approval comes, especially in the moment of testifying to the Lord or being proud of people who suffer for him, That's what he doesn't want. This is what's important for our mission. So it's important to examine your own heart right now. Like, it's it's all, it's we're all, if we're honest with ourselves, would say, I am definitely not proud of how many people that I've witnessed to this week, right? We're gonna be careful here. We don't want to get legalistic and think, you know, just come in and you're just witnessing for the sake of witnessing. I want you to be engaged, and and because you want to glorify God, you want to see non-believers come to Him. But it's safe to say, all of us in our lives, this is probably an area where we fail. Right? Like it's week four 
And we could have, if we wouldn't do this, it would bring a lot of shame in the building, but if we were like, stand up if you haven't witnessed to a non-believer this semester yet. Right? We'd not be okay with that, right? No, I'm ashamed. Probably would be ashamed of that. And I think a fair question to check your heart is this. Is shame concerned about how people will perceive you the reason you do not testify about the gospel? Is it? That's the point tonight. We're going to find out in your own heart, by the Spirit, if that is the reason. And then in this text, I'm hoping that God will kill that in us and we won't be ashamed. But are, are we ashamed of people who are suffering for the cause of Christ? Are we ashamed to know that people will think that you are an ignorant and uninformed person if you testify about the Lord? Think about it. Sometimes college classrooms are tough, right? And, and here's the scary part, because this is me. I, I hear that, and I'm like, okay, yeah, the atheist professor is going to say something about me, and, and I get proud. I'm like, I don't care. I know my stuff. Bring it on, right? And, and this is the problem. You are not going to be able to, en- to enjoy this command, obey this command, with an attitude of, I'm just going to be cooler and smarter than them, and they're the ignorant ones. That's not Christ honoring. It's not. You can try. You can know your stuff and get all up in apologetics. That's great. But ultimately, if you want this command to set you free, you want to be a person that's not ashamed of the gospel, it can't be at the expense of not loving that person who you're considering ignorant now. That's a big deal. Because this is me. I, 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 can get, I can get so cocky. Like, I don't care what they think. Okay. And it's kind of a popular thing too, right? Like, man, that person's really self-confident. They have a lot of self-esteem. They don't care what people think. Well, ultimately, there isn't a little bit of caring what they think because you want them to think they love you. <laughs> You want them to at least perceive that you're in their world, not to prove them wrong, but to show them Christ. So therefore, do not be ashamed. Don't think, I'm good on this one because I know stuff. There's something deeper in your soul that you've got to get for this to to happen. Ask yourself, am I ashamed? Do I feel shame? Not combated with, "I'm, I'm smarter than they are, but I love them enough to look foolish. And listen, I'm going to say this too. This is what I'm talking about here, testifying to the Lord. I'm not talking about defending your Christian worldview. Okay? Listen, we live in a free country, and honestly, Marshall's not that bad about letting you express your Christian worldview. Now, I know you're all like, I got this happened to me, I'm sure. But like, gone through four years, knowing most of the stories, if you are not <laughs> holding up signs and yelling at people on campus, um, sorry. Uh, I know, shouldn't I? Um, but if you are defending your Christian worldview, that's not what I'm talking about here. It's easy to not be ashamed of the fact you know your stuff. It's harder to look a man, a woman in the eyes and say, if you don't believe what I believe, you're going to hell. Uh-oh, shame kicks in then, right? Like, oh, it's easier to say, oh, I respect your beliefs, you respect mine, let's engage in some intellectual discourse, but it's another thing to be like, if you don't get this, you are not going to be with God forever. Is this the reason? Are we, is it shame? Is it humiliation? Is, it, is this the reason we don't share the testimony of Jesus? Do we only share the testimony of Jesus when it's easy and comfortable? Listen, testimony. I'm not talking about just defending your Christian worldview. I cannot make that clear enough. 
And yes, it's a good step. I want people to defend our Christian worldview. I think it's worth defending. You can defend it for four years with every person you meet, and none of those people can get saved. They can just respect your opinion. So look here. The rest of verse 8. This is huge. But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. I want you to see something. The negative command here is do not be ashamed. I don't mean negative, I don't mean bad. I mean telling you not to do something. It doesn't make sense? Negative command. Do not be ashamed. And a counter-positive command here is paired with it. Share in suffering. It could be do not be ashamed, do share in suffering. And this pairing, I think, seems to indicate that our sinful disposition toward being ashamed of Jesus has something to do with our sinful disposition toward not wanting to suffer for the gospel. You see that? Why would he pair those together? Do not be ashamed, share in suffering. There's something there that's going to rub against each other. It's probably clear. Suffering for the gospel causes shame. Think about the type of emotional suffering you could go through if you started calling people to repentance, right? Like, it's not, it's not likely you're going to get your head sliced off. But it is likely that you could lose friendships. Think about strained relationships that could happen. Testifying the gospel could get you shamed, but it empowers you to be unashamed. That's the key. That's the key. You're going to get shamed by the power of God somewhere in here, by these commands. You're going to, he can create in you a, a person who's not ashamed. You can shame me all you want, but I'm, I'm not going to be ashamed. So, and I think this is the, this is the part I'm excited about. And we're just going to read them and, and get excited about this. Because I think in 9 and 10, what Paul is trying to do is saying, listen, by the power of God, do not be ashamed. Share in the suffering. And then he goes on this rant of just explaining things about God. And I think, probably, these words are intentional. They're descriptors of God and Christ show, so that they melt the shame out of your soul. It's not going not gonna, to, knowing this about God is not going to make you not get shame, but it can direct your soul in a way that you're not ashamed of testifying for him. Here's what he says. Look at verse 9. Power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave in us in Christ Jesus, gave us in Christ Jesus, before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Here's this God who's calling you to not be ashamed of Him and testifying to His name. And He wants to remind you, you have been saved and called. Notice these things happen together. You are saved and called to make His name great among this campus, the city, and the nations. And never get over this. You were saved. You're a saved person if you believe in Christ. You needed rescue. You didn't intellectually assent to knowing all the right things about the nature of God. You were saved and called to a holy calling. And something about this saving and calling, it's not because of your works. There was no hint of intrinsic value that God saw That sounds really mean, right? Because in our self-esteem culture, it's so easy to think that, that Jesus you know, died for me because he loved me. Listen, he did. But ultimately, he died for God's glory. Ultimately. And that means he loves you. 
But there's something empowering and inspiring about knowing this is not about you. Even your being not ashamed and your suffering in the gospel, it's ultimately to make God look good, not for us to look at you and say, wow, that person suffers. It's to make God look good. It's not because of your works. You weren't selected based on your skill, your savability. <laughs> but because of His own purpose and grace. Purpose, your holy calling. Grace, the saving. And this purpose, I love this logic here. But this, this, this saving and this holy calling, He gave to you in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So His purpose, His grace was given to us in a person, and it was plan A from the very beginning before the world was created. It's okay to be stunned by that. Very specific grace here, right? Before the ages began, He looked at all of us that are in Christ in this room and said, I've got to, I'm going to save them. I've got a holy calling for them. Before the ages even began. This should flatten us. One way to not be ashamed is to stop thinking so highly of yourself. So here's a way. Before the ages began, before the world you live on was made, God showed His grace and purpose in Christ for you. And now, I love this, and which now has been manifested, so this purpose and grace before the ages began, not because of your works, not based on your savability, through the person of Christ, has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. Cue here, the word Savior. Think cross and resurrection. His purpose and grace was in God before the ages began and was made manifest 2,000 some years ago through God the Son. And look at the way, I, man, it doesn't stop. Now we're going to describe this Jesus, right? And look, he says this. For the ages began, it's now appearing Savior Christ Jesus. And he says this. Who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jesus, this Jesus being described here to melt away your ashamedness of Him. He formally put an end to death. Not the act of body and soul separating at the end of your life, but He, he ended the second death for people that are in Christ. Death gone. In part right now, one day in full. He brought life to light. Not just breathing and, and, and cells multiplying, but, but ultimately enjoying God and knowing Him. He brought that. The, the, the plan before the ages began to make a people great and big and mighty so that people would worship God. He decided to use us. He wants you to know that so something in your soul will click and you won't be ashamed anymore. He brought immortality to life. Listen, Christians, we can't die. <coughs> The worst thing a person can do to you is kill you. It's worse. It's the worst thing that can happen. And this Jesus, the one who's trying to convince you to not be ashamed of him, is saying, I'm bringing immortality to these people. And, and non-believers in the room, listen, you need to know this message. Because with, without him, that death is yours. You don't have true life. You are not immortal in the sense of knowing God forever. You're immortal as in tortured forever. This is the testimony of our Lord that we celebrate. It's why we sing. It's why we gather. Look at verse 11. It says this. For which, another argument word there, right? See a preposition. So, 
brought life, immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. According to all of this stuff, Paul's saying, this is, this is who I am. I was called to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. And listen, your role may be these things, or it could definitely be to go make his name great by making disciples. So this glorious gospel, you were called for this. And this is crazy. Look at this. He's telling you not to be ashamed, and he says literally, the appointing of me being a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, that is the reason why I suffer. See it? I'm not making that up. Verse 12, which is why I suffer as I do. Saying, you need to not be ashamed, but get, get ready. Shame is coming. <laughs> You're going to suffer. It's going to be hard. I'm just going to ask, like, doesn't that excite you? <laughs> That's weird, right? Christians are weird. Like, there's part of me that's like, okay, like, I can't die. I can't die. And, and my calling is why I'm going to suffer. So let's, let's do it. Let's look at 900 students at the village that we moved in right beside. Let's go call some people to repentance, knowing it's all about God anyways. Let's get excited about that. It's for your joy, these words. Because you need to know this. Your message is not going to make sense to dying people. You will suffer if you do gospel-centered ministry among unevangelized people. You're just going to. Follows up with this. Says this. That's why I suffer as I do, man, Paul. But I am not ashamed. For, here's why I'm not ashamed, Timothy. I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Even though he's shamed in his suffering, he is not ashamed. Why? Two reasons. Number one, he knows Jesus. Number two, he knows that Jesus can guard what has been entrusted to him, namely the gospel and the gospel mission. Until that day, the day when Jesus comes back to let the abolishment of death, the bursting forth of true life and true immortality unleash on this world. Notice how not about you that is, right? Like, I'm not ashamed. And, and Timothy, it's because I used to be a Pharisee of Pharisees. I know my stuff. No, Timothy, I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. And that person whom I believe in can guard it until that day. Can't be me. I'll lose my grip. But this Jesus that I know, he's guarding it. He doesn't get confident in himself. There's, there's, no, there's no getting through this suffering and Christ-exalting mission with high self-esteem. It's, it's just not going to happen. You'll fail. You'll quit. We have to get to this point. We have to be confident that Jesus will guard what he's entrusted to us. Don't you love that? Here it is, believers. But I've got my eye on it. I'm going to use you to share the gospel to the world that I've given to you as a gift. 13. Let's keep going. It says this. Follow the pattern of the sound words. Some translations say healthy words. I don't know Greek, so you can check that if you want. Some translations say that. Pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So another command here that has something to do with not being ashamed. Follow sound teaching. Follow sound teaching. So there's some sort of connection of how the Lord is going to guard what He entrusted to us through our obedience of 
holding on to sound teaching. Do you see that? That's the way in which he guards what he's entrusted to you. Truth. That's why theology is so important for gospel-centered perseverance that can eliminate shame in your hearts. Not so you can dive into the mysteries of, is man responsible or is God sovereign? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about knowing God, knowing truth, knowing the gospel. It's how he's going to guard it in you. And it's that truth that's going to burn in you for a passionate overflow of this gospel mission. If you've experienced that, you know. Truth burns in you. Because if it's true, you've got to share it, right? You won't stay unashamed of the mission just for having lovey feelings for people. You just won't. They're good. I hope you have lovey feelings for people, whatever that means. I hope you do. But you're not going to last. You'll quit. You won't stick it out unless you're convinced that God can save that person. You just won't. It says this, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Once again, this good deposit, the gospel of Jesus Christ, He's entrusted it to you, and it's by the Holy Spirit, that spirit that's not of fear, but of power, love, self-control. It's fire in you, burning on the kindling of truth and good sound words. Guard it. Guard the truths of God's word and gospel. Don't budge on the truth. And listen, here's the scary part. Being ashamed of the gospel will erode your grip on truth. Notice, I'm feeling humiliated. What's the first thing you want to do? Shift the message. Make it more palpable, right? It's easy to say God is love. While it's true, you're like, okay, i got to shy away from the harder things of God. I want, I want to be liked here. Shame will loosen your grip on truth, which is why I think Paul, or Paul is over and over again telling Timothy, guard that good deposit. Hold on to sound teaching. It's worth it. Don't quit. Don't let the changing tides of culture or your classroom cause you to fold because of what they may think. You can't rely on being cooler or smarter, but it's by the power of God that you will guard it with your life. And listen, that means living it too. One of the ways you show that what we are saying is absolute truth is by the way you hate sin and love obedience to God. It's how people know you know it's true, right? Last four verses before we celebrate tonight. And I think really what we're seeing is a case study here in 15 through 18. The practical outworkings of somebody who is ashamed or people who were ashamed and people that were not ashamed. So let's look, 15. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. If you say them confidently, they'll think you know how to pronounce them. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anosphorus. I was convincing on that one. Huh? For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. People who turned away. A man named Phagellus, a man named Hermogenes, and then all the people in Asia. I don't know what happened. But don't, just read, don't read this and be like, okay, Paul was just letting Timothy know. Feel the weight of this. Think how many people that could have represented. They didn't stay on mission. They didn't keep going. Maybe they didn't even end up being true disciples of Christ. They didn't guard the good deposit. They didn't follow healthy teaching. They quit. God wants you to not be ashamed. He, he, he needs 
He doesn't need you to finish the mission, but if, if you're going to glorify him, he's going to need you to persevere. And look at the man who was unashamed. His name's Anosphorus. By the Lord's mercy, he stayed the course, and he was not ashamed of Paul's chains. And then follows up and says, and you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Service to the church. He loved the saints. He evangelized. I'm reading into this here, so don't take this as gospel. He evangelized non-Christians. He helped build the church. He didn't quit. He wasn't ashamed. He wasn't ashamed. He was fulfilling his holy calling because he was not ashamed of Paul's chains. And we need to address something before we, before we sing tonight. I want to turn our attention to Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. I want you to see something really, really big here. Because the last thing I want to do, we've talked about this a lot, if you leave here guilty for not being on mission, that will not sustain you as a motivator. It won't. You'll feel guilty, then you'll feel better about it, then you'll stop. <laughs> You've got to want to see God's glory on this campus and in your workplace. You've got to want it more than anything. Not be ashamed of it. Because you know what's true. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, look, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus despised the shame of the cross and went in any way to die for all the ways that we shamed Him. Jesus despised the shame of the cross and died and rose again to give us a righteousness not of our own that defeats our shame of our sin. And Jesus now empowers us to despise the shame that tries to creep into our soul and keep us from guarding the good deposit. Despise that shame. By, by holy, loving, Jesus, spirit-empowered work. Obey that command because you love Him. And go on mission knowing the sound teaching that we win. Arm yourselves with this gospel and do not be ashamed. I'm going to pray for us as we get ready to, to sing. And um, we're still celebrate tonight. I know we don't have words. I think these next ones we, we know a little better. At least I do. Um, so we'll... Uh, We'll celebrate tonight as, as the people of God, not ashamed. Let's pray. Father, I, I come to you right now <laughs> so aware of all the reasons that I should be grip-locked in shame because of how sinful, how passive, how weak I am. Um, but Father, I, I look to these words and I see that you command me to not be ashamed that means you empower me to fulfill that. And I can look to you, founder and perfecter of my faith, of our faith, knowing you for the joy set before you endured the cross, despising the shame, and knowing right now your son is seated at the right hand of you. So Father, I pray for my friends in here. I pray that we would not be content with having a nice service on a Tuesday evening, but that we would for the zeal of your glory despise the shame, share in suffering, not be like Hermogenes and Figelis, but that we would not be ashamed of the suffering that could come for testifying to your name. 
Give us boldness that can only come from you, not from our self-confidence. May we lift you up tonight. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.